Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Are you tired of the same old pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 4,000 hours of the best pro wrestling events from over 110 of the biggest names in the industry from over 15 countries around the globe. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Welcome to the 70th episode of Social Suplex's podcast about AEW with a proclivity for positivity. Welcome to All Things Elite. My name is Austin Summers and I am your lovely, lovely host. And I have my lovely, 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 lovely partner, Floyd Johnson Jr. joining with me. And joining us today, we have the co-host of Keeping It Strong Style, the young boy, Joshua Smith, man. How you doing? Oh, uh, <laughs> man, what an intro. <laughs> I'm I doing do my really best. good. I do my best. <laughs> I'm doing good, guys. I'm, uh, you know, glad to be on the show again. Uh, first time with Austin, which uh, I'm pretty excited about. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait to, you know, to dig into this uh, Fight for the Fallen episode. I really hope I meet your expectations. <laughs> yeah, uh, before we get to that, before the show is, and someone can uh, actually tweet us or message us as this, is the co-host, because it's two hosts, <laughs> or is there a host and his sidekick is the co-host? I always want to know. I need to know. I need to know. Yeah, we we started talking before, and he was like, he's like, all right, so be sure that you say the co-host to keep your strong style. And I was like, whoa, 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 am I not the host? Like, how? and then uh, <laughs> Floyd was like, I thought it was co-host and co-host, and I was like, I thought it was host and co-host, and so you know, we have totally different perceptions. And, and then I tried to Google it and I couldn't figure out what the appropriate terminology is. Like, I mean, do you, what, what's your guys take? How does this thing work? Yeah. Austin's the I guess it's just kind of like how you want to run the show, like, and just how you want to format it, because you could treat it where it's like, you got two equals on your team and they're just both 
co-hosting the show, like, and that's what it's considered. Or you can have, like, Floyd is very much put me in a position to lead the show along, and then mm. Floyd jumps in where he wants to jump in and where he feels like he can add something. But uh, at the most part, I'm just kind of taking us where I feel like the show needs to go. So I think that's just what he set this up to be, but I think it's just interchangeable for either any show that's done. Yeah, he's the Kevin Kelly of this show, and I'm the random guy that sits next to Kevin Kelly. Yes. Yes. I think I think I think on my show most people would say Jeremy's the host and I'm the co host. But there's also a dynamic where he's the baby face and I'm the heel and if anyone knows anything about pro wrestling, it's usually the heel that makes the baby face look good and that calls the match. And I would definitely say that describes my relationship to Jeremy. There you go. And it's weird it's weird too because I joined like seventy like uh, like halfway through the the podcast uh, lifespan, and now I've all of a sudden become the babyface commentator almost of this show, and I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> it's kind of like, it's kind of like if like for like the longest time it was just like like Jim Ross calling a show, and then all of a sudden like I'm Excalibur who hops in, and then I'm calling the show out of nowhere. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much accurate. I just know what my strength is. My strength is energy and color. I'm not an organized person, and I'm definitely not good at show control. I'm like, uh, the only other show me and Josh did together is the longest show. And, uh, yeah. All things really, because I'm not good at controlling conversations. I even said... We were doing some pay-per-view, weren't we? Yeah. And, and I told Austin, when I asked him to be a host, I was like, you have to shut me up. Because I will keep <laughs> talking forever if you let me. So, yeah, you'll like our, when our first show, he would abruptly cut me off. And he was like, do you not like that? I was like, no, I need that. Because the show would be four <laughs> hours every day <laughs> if he doesn't do that. This is what I asked him to do. It's a request. So, yeah. Well, this is, this is a breath of fresh air for me to be on, you know, uh, admittedly a shorter format than the show I do. You know, uh... I think me and Jeremy both need someone to cut us off because we go like three hours every single week. Dude, you're, you're, you're like, your you're tangents when you'll be like, well, the last time someone bled, it was in this stadium in 1994. And you'll go off for like 15 minutes. And I'm like, that's like my favorite part of the show because no other show does that. Like, no other show goes into the depth of knowledge of random shit like you do. And I love that. And I love, uh, I love being in conversations like that, where just, like, you just talk, and it feels like time's just passing by slowly. But I will say, like, when I listened to some of the older episodes of uh, this podcast, I was like, Floyd, my man, like, let's get to the next match, brother, come on. <laughs> oh, and, and, it, it was, and it was like, I knew it, and I would be aware when I was doing it. <laughs> and I still just couldn't stop myself because if I don't finish a point it's just like it's like this itch in my ears like I need to finish this point but sometimes I make yeah, the you, same point like 12 times so you gotta throw all that praise on Cody like it's pyro right dude you know what I try not to do it as much anymore because it's almost predictable. <laughs> he saves it for FTR now. Yeah, I was about it's almost predictable. It's like me talking about Cody is like my five moves of doom. You know, everybody knows it's coming. So I try to try to change it up a little bit. I actually, as we get closer to the show, I actually have an unexpected take on the Cody match this week. Mm, okay. I'm excited, too, because that starts off the show. Um, so we're going to get into AEW Fight for the Fallen that just occurred. We record, we're we recording this the day after Fight for the Fallen. 
So we're going to let you guys know our thoughts on the entire show. But before we do that, I want to let you guys know that Support for All Things Elite is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Floyd can tell you himself he's had some great experiences using their products, and I'm sure you will as well. Yes, you gotta think. Sex is the touchdown in this world. <laughs> and what you don't want to do is get into the red zone. And, uh, or, or you get into the red zone. It's just, you're, you get there and it's like, oh, you pull your pants down. And it looks like, uh, pretty much somebody from the 70s rocking down there, you know, with the afro and it's kind of musty and stinky. And then, you know what? You don't score. You don't get the touchdown. What that is, you know, Manscaped is the red zone offense of grooming. You know, it is, it's the perfect play to make sure you finish that score. <laughs> um, man, what an analogy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if there's anybody that's going to sell you on this, it's going to be Floyd. He does it, like, so well every single week. And again, if you guys use the code SUPLEX for when you place your order, you get 20% off and free shipping. So, not just 20% off, but also free shipping. So, it's pretty much a done deal. Yeah. Our, now... Our, our friends over at Manscaped, they uh, definitely are partnering with us to help us here. And the one thing I'll tell you guys is, if you even care about yourself or you care about, you know, your hygiene, this is something you should be doing anyways. Why not use the best tools that are out there? And why not use our promo code to obtain those tools? It's something you need to do anyways. And it goes a really, really long way to help help benefit this show and all the shows on this network. So, you know, use that code SUPLEX. Support independent podcast. Yes, please. (laughs) Couldn't have said it any better myself. Now, also, make sure you're downloading this fine independent podcast on Google or Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a rating and review if you're so inclined to. You can also leave a donation through our podcast provider, Red Circle. And be sure to support us by following us on Twitter at ATLE Pod. Follow Social Suplex at Social Suplex. Follow myself at SSumer4. Follow Floyd at Floyd Johnson Jr. And Josh, please let us all know what your Twitter handle is. <laughs> I didn't put one on well, there because he doesn't have one, do you? Oh, does he, does he not? <laughs> no, but uh, I do sometimes occasionally jump on the uh, co-managed uh, show podcast Twitter, which is at KI Strong Style. So follow us at K- KI Strong Style, and uh, you know we really appreciate it. Yeah, be sure to check out Keep It It Strong Style on Spotify and Apple, uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and support everybody on the Social Suplex Network now. Obviously, the big news of the week is Fight for the Fallen, so with that in mind, we're just going to go ahead and jump straight in to the show. We opened up with the TNT Championship match between Cody and Sonny Kiss. Side note before this match starts, I was very, very happy to see Cody truly come to the defense of Sonny Kiss when this match was announced and when we were building up towards Fight for the Fallen, because he there was a lot of bad shit that was being spewed towards Sonny Kiss, which kindly can fuck off. If you're like that, like we don't want you supporting AEW. We don't want you in this community that we have. Kindly fuck off because none of that shit is needed. But Sunny Kiss stuck by stuck by his guns and was very much like not deterred by it all. And they went out and they put on a pretty, I would say, solid match. I don't think it was anything truly special, uh, which is a lot of things I can say about Cody's title defenses for the most part. 
they're nothing really unbelievably special, but they're solid enough that I don't have anything terrible to say about them. And it was a decent opening to the show itself. Um, I, I really liked seeing Sonny getting this nice spotlight in singles competition. Um, but overall, I, I didn't have a ton of things to say on this match, but I was... I enjoyed it, but nothing really too high praise about. But Floyd, you said you have some takes on this match. Well, I'm gonna let our guest, Mr. Youngboy, go first, and then I'll <laughs> then I'll shock the world with my thoughts. Oh boy. Well, um, you know, uh, to what you said there, Austin. I actually I heard about what you know. I saw the response that Cody posted online, but I didn't actually because I'm not on Twitter. I didn't see anything that anyone was saying against Sunny Kiss or anything of that nature, uh, personally. But that's, you know, that's really great that, uh, you know, when there have been issues like that with different performers and, you know, fans saying things that were impolite or, you know, hateful or racist or homophobic or whatever, you know, that they kind of, um, you know, that it's not so much about keeping, like, kayfabe at that point. It's more so about, like, you know, setting the record straight and letting people kind of know where the company line stands. So, uh, you know, good on them for that. As far as uh, this match goes, though, one thing I will say, I liked the entrances that both guys got. Obviously, Cody, big star, every week gets a superstar entrance. But, you know, to kind of start the show off with the uh, open challenge like this, um, all the pyro in the world which and, and all the flames, which he gets all the time. But, you know, it really just kind of sets a tone. It's like letting you know, like, okay, first match, we're kicking this off right. You're watching superstars here. And... It'd be one thing if only Cody got that, but Sonny Kiss had an incredible entrance as well as he was uh, uh, seconded by the Jacksonville Jaguar cheerleader, or cheerleaders. Like that was pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, the roar of Jacksonville. But yeah, yeah so I yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, whatever you're saying. I was just saying, I thought that was pretty awesome. Uh, as far as the match itself goes, just a couple quick thoughts. Um, I did not think that this was a great match. Um, and the main reason I would say I didn't think it was, I've seen a lot of people say they thought the match was pretty good, and, and it was decent, but I, I do think Cody and Sonny Kiss have a better match in them. These are two really, really talented individuals, and my biggest perception of an issue with the match itself was a timing issue. Um, it appeared to me just watching it that, like, Cody was wrestling at one pace, and maybe Sonny was wrestling at just a nth of a, like, bit more, like, faster speed, uh, there's just a lot of strikes where, like, Cody would throw the strike out, it looked perfectly fine, and Sonny was nowhere in position to, like, take it, and then he would sell it, and then it looked kind of bad and kind of off, um, but aside from some technical issues and just kind of awkward pacing, the match itself told a pretty good story, like, Cody did a really good job making Sonny look, you know, like a viable contender, uh, I liked the fact that he was unable to put Sonny away through most of the early portion of the match, and he was kind of getting frustrated. So much so that Arne Anderson at one point told him, like, you know, I, I forget exactly what he said, but he kind of referenced it. Your ass. Yeah. <laughs> told him to get his head out his ass. Um, and then Sonny Kiss even hit a crossroads on Cody, which we've seen uh, people do in the past, but, uh, you know, anytime you steal somebody's. Uh, finisher from them that kind of you know shows you a bit of like disrespect uh but ultimately cody was kind of able to overcome the odds make sunny kiss look good put him away in emphatic fashion which is kind of exactly what his job is so he did his job well you know the match was you know it was solid i think the the biggest thing for me was just some pacing and timing issues and some miscues there's a bit of sloppiness uh 
the one thing, and uh, Floyd, I know you're about to give us your take. The one thing I thought was interesting was a bit of heelishness from Cody when he peeled off the uh, turnbuckle at one point out of frustration. So, I mean, uh, Floyd, what did you think of this match? And, you know, what did you think of the heel tactics that were kind of perceived there? Okay, first of all, my shocking thing, I think this match was completely misplaced. <laughs> I think it and the Young Bucks, uh, or the Elite versus Jurassic Express should have switched spots. Uh, I mm. feel, um, the first match, the first match in uh, Dynamite is so important to get the pace going, to get even the, the, the wrestlers, even though they're crowd, to get them into it. When that first match hits, there is a different energy to the rest of the show, right? Yeah. This match was not that. This match, I'm not saying it was a bad match. It wasn't. But it w- it didn't fit where it was in the card. It d- did not have that opening match energy. Uh, Cody and Sonny seemed to, their chemistry wasn't right there. Maybe it hasn't been working enough together. But I definitely agree with Josh. They were working two different speeds. It felt clunky to me. And uh, it was like those, I don't know if you noticed on those first two kicks that he did, the pump kick and the disaster kick, really got nowhere near him. Got nowhere near Sonny. And it was just like, it was just, it was sloppy. And it's like one of those days, it was one of those days that I'm like sticking my hand in my head because I have to like admit Rich is right. Which I never (laughs) want to admit Rich is right like ever in existence. But it was just like it wasn't. And it was just like you had the Young Bucks and the Jurassic Express. And it was just like that's an AEW opener match. And it's just I just think like I said I thought I was expecting more maybe. And it was just not what I expected. I'm like I didn't hate the match at all. I think they have a better match in them. I agree with it. But it just you know it just threw it threw me off kind of for the like it took the next match to really get me into that I was watching Dynamite that night. Do y'all understand mm. what I'm saying? Yeah, I think I totally understand. I'm surprised to hear that take a little bit. I I would say in the past, Cody has come through as an opening act on different episodes. Uh, the very first episode of Dynamite specifically comes to mind, but I could totally see what you're saying there. You know, you've got a high-octane match, you know, later on in the card. Why not open with that? It's just, like I said, it's just their signature. That has become AEW's kind of signature. And Tony said it was on, Tony Khan said it was on purpose to start with that high energy, I could put this match up against any match in the world type of feel. I don't feel like Cody and Sonny delivered on that. And like I said, this is probably about as negative as you get (laughs) with me when it comes to Cody. Uh, But it was just like, and I don't know if that was the story of the match. Cody being frustrated, Cody being tired. It looked like they were trying to tell a different story. I love the more aggressive style of Cody. You know, it seems like he's morphing into what he's going to be eventually. And so I I didn't have it. Like I said, I didn't hate the match. I just felt it was misplaced in a card. Yeah, I can totally agree with what you guys were saying. I'm glad you brought up to the entrance from Sunday Kiss because honestly, that was my favorite part of the opening match. In terms of the placement, I think that's definitely. I, I don't know if I would replace it with the Elite versus Junk Jurassic Express, though. Honestly, I feel like you could have easily have just taken the next match, FTR versus Lucha Bros, and you could have put it there. Honestly, because I felt like that would have been a pretty solid opener as well. 
Yeah, and that's a really great idea. Just like I said, it didn't have that opener energy. And it's just, that's such a staple of what AEW is. And, like, even when people that, I people that don't watch wrestling every week and are less casual have told me that. That they was like, I at least turn on at 7 because that match is, they know that first match is going to be good. And it was just like, a couple of my friends told me to turn the channel. I'm like, we still got good numbers, but. Well, two things I'll say about that. Um, I the first thing I noticed, and this goes for the entire show and all the matches. For the first time in in quite a while, the crowd seemed more subdued, and I don't know if that's because of the increase of uh, you know masks that we saw being worn by ringside you know uh, spectators and participants and things of that nature. I don't know if that was one of the detriments, or if there was some other external force, but there. Were did see, like the crowd to me, and it's just my opinion. Didn't seem to be as with the show as they have been, like you know, all throughout this uh, past period. But the other thing too is like it's really easy for us to sit back and you know uh, say that this wasn't like a good opener, you know, hindsight. But every you know every opener has the opportunity to go out there and make that match be what it should be, and you know it's up to them to make that happen. It's you know it's not up to the booker. It's up to the uh, you know, to the participants, and if Cody and Sonny Kiss, you know, fell short of that, that that falls on them. They were given the opportunity to wow us and to be worthy of being the opener, if that makes sense. Oh, I completely agree. I completely agree it was on them, but I was just saying, if I was, you know, if I'm looking at the card, it just seemed like the six-man would be the obvious first match. Also, I will say, too, I think another thing that might have hurt it a little bit is the fact that this wasn't labeled as just Dynamite. This was labeled as another kind of special in Fight for the Fallen, which before was like like a special or a pay-per-view, if you want to call it like that. And, like, overall, the card has, like, some pretty dang good matches and some pretty great moments, but it doesn't feel like... um, like, say, like, with Fighter Fest, which felt like just Dynamite, but Amplified, it, this just kind of felt like a Dynamite that was just called something else. I agree. If, if you know, I had high expectations because it was Fight for the Fallen, so part of that is, like, are they going to have special sets? They're going to be a gimmick? Like, what, you know, what's the deal going to be? And instead, it just kind of looked like a Dynamite, and if I was judging this just off of a regular Dynamite show, this is a solid episode, but because there's that added, breath, like, air of expectation I, it almost felt a little flat because of that, you know. If it didn't have the fight for the fallen tag, it might not have felt that way. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I could actually, I could definitely agree with that. See, that's why I bring Josh on. He comes hard hitting <laughs> stuff right there. Get, get, makes me think about it a different way. Yeah, pretty much. And now we can get into the next match of the show, which was the first time ever we saw FTR facing off against the Lucha Bros. I had. Very high expectations for this match <laughs> because I mean, my God, these two teams are on their own, freaking incredible. And then you put them together, it's just crazy. Just I expect nothing but excellence from them. And I felt like it was weaker than I wanted it to be, but I still got a damn good tag team match. But I guess I was in my mind, I built it up to myself as like, oh, these guys are gonna tear the fucking house down. But I'm not necessarily sure if I got it. Um, I, I dug the finish, though, with FTR still kind of working a little bit heelish, and then I believe it was Dax 
who ripped the mask off of Phoenix and just caused that whole catastrophe and then was able to get the pinfall off of uh, Pentagon, I believe. And then, yeah, I, I thought that finish was really great. And then, uh, actually, no, he rolled up uh, Phoenix while he, was dis- while he was concealing his identity. But that I thought that was a great finish because while FTR has been presented for the most part, as baby faces, yeah, that's not going to last long. And also, like these guys are going to do whatever they take, whatever it takes to get a victory, even if they have to th- resort to underhanded stuff. I mean, they're an old school tag, tag team for a reason. But I, I thought it was a great match. I just wanted so much more. I think maybe if it went a little bit longer and had a little bit more spots, I think I would have loved this match even more. But what about you guys? Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm not going to sit here and try and say that I think that TV shouldn't be on the same, you know, basically fight against the idea that we sh- shouldn't have as many great TV matches as AEW is giving us. Because, you know, God knows they're giving us some of the best quality content that's out there when it comes to, like, in-ring product. With that being said, um, sometimes we get a little spoiled with that because we expect, you know, we see the names, we expect, you know, uh, to get like bangers every single time and this one felt a little bit short of that and i'm not so sure that that's even a bad thing necessarily um and the reason i say that is because this match itself was a little bit of a story match like you know it was basically a stepping stone to build to another feud down the road with potentially ftr but not just them but also with the bucks and also with hangman and uh kenny so there's kind of, like, this didn't necessarily need to go out there and be DIY versus Revival or Revival versus Alpha, you know, American Alpha or anything of that nature. This kind of facilitated the role of what it was. It was almost like a sampling, if you will, like a, like a little taste of what, you know, is to come. And it wasn't an overly long match either, so it's not like they had all the time in the world to go out there and produce this classic. That being said, there were some botches, and surprisingly, the botches in the most for the most part, we're coming from the Lucha Brothers, which are an extremely, you know, familiar tag team with one another. Obviously, the brothers, they came up in the business together, and it was weird. Like, there's this one cartwheel or uh, wheelbarrow spot where they, like, tried it, like, two or three times before they got it, and it was real clunky. And uh, it's something I've seen them do, like, a million times, so I don't know what happened there. At one point, I was almost wondering if... um like Phoenix got knocked loopy. There were some punches that looked a little stiff. And that's the one thing. I don't know if I haven't heard anyone else say this. I don't know if you guys noticed. These guys were beating the shit out of each other. Oh, like, yeah. They were hitting each Bro, Phoenix, obviously, he hit. Uh, I, I don't know which one's Dax Hardwood and which one's Dash Wheeler or whatever. I, I don't uh, know. The bald one is Dax. The okay, there is Cash. <laughs> so Dex, he got chopped over, like, o- overhand chopped so hard his chest was bleeding, which was awful, but, uh, like, it kind of looked like some of those uh, working punches might have been potatoes. Like, I watch a lot of MMA and boxing, and I was like, I don't know, man, these guys are hitting each other real, real hard. Like, they're still cooperative, they're still working, but they're taking some liberties. There were some receipts there, and, like, uh, overall, I thought this match was good, though, and I, I enjoyed the story that they told. Uh, yeah, um, was it everything I wanted in these first two as them being two of my favorite tag teams in the world? No, but it was perfect for TV. It was what it should have been in the first match. You come out there, I'm not saying they 
think about stars or all that stuff. But if you come out there and throw out the classic the first match, where do you go from there? The story, right. this, this match was a good starter to building. Uh, next time they do it, they'll probably have a spot where he tries to pull off the mask again in Phoenix or in Phoenix and Pentagon are ready for it. And so it'll be, it, you know, it's it was that building block to what could end up eventually being a great storyline. The ending was perfect. I popped so hard for the ending because it was something that was that's not done that often, which is perfect for me because I, I like to be shocked. And it set up the FTR as kind of assholes. You know, they they were always leaning towards assholes, but they hadn't done anything asshole-ish yet. <laughs> and this was like, oh my god, this is the one thing you don't do. And it's funny, they took advantage of the American rules. And that is was a big part of their gimmick going forward, Is uh, from the beginning, is that they follow the rules. And they took yeah. advantage of a difference between American and Mexican rules. By, by all intents and purposes, they did something that was frowned upon, but they didn't do anything that was illegal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, that top row bulldog was awesome. I had to throw that in there. That they he yeah. was kind of the opposite way on the Doomsday, and then they he fell back into the uh, bulldog. I just thought that was cool. Yeah, that's the crazy thing, you know. Um, obviously, in Mexico. In most of Lucha Libre, if you pull off your competitor's mask, I mean, that's an automatic disqualification. And so, uh, in this situation, it's obviously not in the official quote-unquote rules of AEW, if there even are any yet. And um, they took advantage of that. And I thought that the uh, announced team did a really great job highlighting how this was kind of like a great area. And it was sort of definitely underhanded, but it wasn't breaking any actual rules. Yeah, and I think, honestly, this won't be the one and only time we see these teams face off. So, if this is the uh, the first match that we get in between these two, that's fine. I that's uh, It's on me because, I like I said, AEW has very much spoiled us with some crazy good TV matches. And with how unbelievable their tag division has and how, like, I feel like they have some of the best tag team matches in pro wrestling right now i very much got hyped up for this match like it was going to be a pay-per-view quality match but yeah i mean it's kind of on me but at the same time if you call your show like a special like fight for the fallen which was a pay-per-view before i expect a pay-per-view quality match even if it's on free tv and, and you know yeah. what and i can honestly say i absolutely agree with that it's just like to me the finish saved it for me the finish, sure, yeah. The finish was just like, oh, okay, genius. That's that's the way you finished it. If they would have just hit the um, Good Night Express and beat the Lucha Bros, I've been like, oh, that match disappointed me. That's what I would have been like. But right, it, it was and, like and it it advanced the story. I agree with both you guys. I mean, if this was just a regular Dynamite and we were told we were giving this match, then we'd still probably expect similar results to what we. Got, but you know we wouldn't be so down on it because like, that was a good TV match. But because we were like, it's time for the fallen. It's pay per view on TV. <laughs> you're kind of expecting like that sort of presentation. We didn't quite get that. So I I totally see what you're saying there, Austin. Uh, but ultimately, you're right, uh, Floyd. With the way that the match ended, it leaves things open ended. Like we obviously have to see this match again down the road because of the way that they won. It's not decisive whatsoever. And also. What happened after the match completely 
very much got me excited and really amped me up some more because we then had uh, the Butcher and the Blade who were taunting FTR before the Young Bucks knocked them out and took the truck keys and brought it back to FTR to return them their keys to their stolen truck. And Kenny Omega comes out with a, with a cooler and starts handing beers that were clearly Miller Lights but scribbled over by Sharpies but not well enough. <laughs> but you know what? Uh, B minus for effort because really you could have like just put tape over it or something. I don't know. But Kenny comes out. Obviously, he dumped their beer uh, last week and was very disrespectful towards FTR. So he comes to hand sort of an olive branch over to FTR. So he brings out the cooler. The Bucks give back the keys to FTR. They go to cheers. Kenny's like, this one time I'll drink. And then FTR just dump their drinks onto Kenny's head. Which I fucking popped for. I was so happy when I saw that because just continues with this relationship between the Elite and the Bucks and FTR as, like, not, like, it'll blow at any moment. They're, they're being cool at this point in time, but it could blow at any moment. And Kenny was hot when that happened. It was a great way to cap off the overall match. And that, honestly, not... Floyd says the mask pulling off saved the match for him. This saved the match for me. Just the overall ending with that was just such a great moment, I felt like. Yeah, I thought there were some segments on the show, we'll get to them, that I wasn't in love with. But this one was definitely one of the ones that I thought kind of made the show and was very entertaining. And, you know, the, the fact that this was such a playoff of what had happened, you know, a couple weeks prior uh, with the beers and Kenny dumping them out. Um, my thinking though, and this is just, I don't know, I'm just being a conspiracy theorist here. We're going to talk about Kenny and kind of the direction of his character later on, you know, during the six man tag. Do you guys think that there's any chance that FTR completely like validated in their reaction because it was almost like reactionary to what Kenny had done the week prior? Is he really the actual instigator and the heel in this scenario? And are we being set up for, like, a potential FTR actually the faces, even though it doesn't appear that way yet? Like, is this slow burn to, like, a double turn sort of situation? I'm not sure if it's going to be a double turn in the sense that the match that we're really fully building towards is the Bucks versus FTR. But in terms of Kenny's development and in terms of how many people online are just clamoring for Kenny to go full cleaner and just really, like, dig deep into that old New Japan style that he had that made him so famous and how people want him to turn heel, like, so badly. I think we're, we're building towards that Kenny heel turn and possibly distancing himself from Hangman and the Elite because I think just people want to see Kenny go full vicious cleaner. But in terms of FTR turning into, like, the baby faces, I'm not exactly sure, honestly. I It could go either way. I could see that happening, the FTR turning baby face. I, I actually like it because it would be different because everybody's fully, with the group that they keep hinting at, everybody's fully expecting them to turn heel. But what if right. it's a face group? That would be interesting. All I can say is right now they're both the heels because they're wasting beer. They're wasting <laughs> good good beer. Well, I don't know if Miller Lite's good. I've literally never had a Miller Lite. <laughs> but they so are wasting questionable, beer. Questionable for this week. Yeah, I was say, they are w wasting beer. And Hangman, Buckshot Larry, and all of them for uh, wasting beer. When he's there, so he'll gladly drink it. 
Are you say, are you saying that Stone Cold Steve Austin was really the heel against the corporation when he doused them Dude, from the beer truck? Do you know it took me about three or four months because I was young and I'm stupid to realize how much of the beer he wasn't drinking? <laughs> Do you want him to die from alcohol poisoning? No, it was oh, just like he was, God. you know, he would slam it together, throw it up in the air. I'm like, shit, by the time he was done, there was maybe a sip of beer left in that can. And so, I didn't, and then he would, you know, make it foam with his mouth. And I was like, one day it just hit me, like, slapped me in the face. He's not drinking, like, any of this beer. So, no. But yeah, Stone Cold was the hill. When he uh, made Vince McMahon swim in the beer at the beer bath, but uh, yeah, that yeah, was people, a proper use, though. Yes, people need to quit wasting beer. This is disrespectful to Hangman of all people. We're, we're, <laughs> we're in a pa- we're in a pandemic. We need all the beer we can get. Yes, so like, don't disrespect Hangman. No, but I thought this was hilarious because it was a take. I thought they were just gonna hit it and. You know, drink the beer with them, and you know, and I love it when I think I know what's gonna happen and it doesn't happen. Right. Yeah. So that was kind of like, dude, screw you. We know you're only apologizing because your boys told you to apologize. We know you don't actually care. <laughs> so screw you both of you. Well, I don't know. I mean, obviously, being the elite is not a hundred percent canon. I'd say it's like semi-canon, but he seemed like to realize when I saw that episode of like the uh, week or two ago, he was like, yeah, I was a dick. Like he realized that he was being a dick and you know, there was no real reason for him to like go after those guys. The thing that was shocking to me here though, was I was like, I've been watching Kenny Omega for years and I know that he's like, you know, a teetotaler or like straight edge or whatever. And I was just like, is Kenny Omega going to drink a beer? That's what I was thinking. I was like, Oh my God. That's like if someone offered CM Punk a drink and he was like, "Yeah, brother, cheers." I'm like, "What?" Yeah, yeah, I was, okay. I was a little shocked. But I remember, I've, I've heard that Kenny will have a beer out of like social graces, but he, he doesn't drink. You know what I mean? Like in a social setting, one sip or something like that, he might do. I have heard that, but you know, like I don't know how true that is. But I was leaning more towards. Josh, I always thought he was completely, like, him and the Bucks were completely like, ah, we just don't drink. We don't do alcohol, as they put it, you know, and, and, but again, you know, it was, it was weird, and if I would have known he was like the teetotaler, I was like, oh, yeah, they're gonna have to do something, but it was kind of, it was, it was cool, it was interesting, we're at this fork in the road where Ken's kind of pissing off all his friends, so, <laughs> what way is he gonna go, because the Bucks is like, man, we set up, we got their car back, we set up this peaceful moment where we don't hate each other, and you screwed it up, <laughs> so Hangman's mad at him for, you know, what he did two weeks, and, you know, and then, uh, you know, the rival, you know, or FDR, excuse me. Uh, they uh, were like, you know, they don't really like anyone. So that yeah, works. <laughs> that works. They like they like Tully and Arn. Everybody else can get beat up. Oh, that's an interesting thing to talk about, and maybe just mention because I don't want to keep us too long. But Tully Blanchard was like in the audience scouting oh, yeah. both teams the entire time. I love well, also, didn't I, I honestly, Floyd? I noticed this. I saw at one point the uh, FTR throw up the four when they were screaming at uh, Butcher and Blade. They were. Uh, they yeah, did. So. Uh, you know, Tully Blanchard. 
I, you know, he has the male, I don't even know what you call the male version of RBF, because he just looks like you want to punch him, no matter what. Like, I don't think you would have to tell a person that he's a heel, that you just see his face and see how he looks, and he's just a guy that's like, that guy's probably a dick. You know, that kind of thing. Tony Lynch probably the nicest human ever, if you even met him. But, yeah, he has this face, this look on his face always, like, almost like I'm better than you face. And I just think that's, I just think that's awesome. No, that's and, MJF. And that's not something that you can teach. See, that's the whole thing with MJF. I don't, I think he's, he has that I'm better than you attitude. But Tully can be sitting there not doing anything. And the look on his face says... I'm superior to you. Just his natural look. And it might not be anything he does on purpose. It's just he can yeah. that R. And MJF has like the Rick the Mile Martel or like Kurt Henning sort of like he's puckering his lips. He's fouling, you know, he's furrowing his brows. He's like making himself look cocky and arrogant like a 92 Shawn Michaels. But like Tully looks just completely dismissive of you as a person. Like, he just does not give a fuck about you because he knows he's better than you. And, like, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. And also, I'll say this. Tessa, same way. <laughs> oh. You know, oh boy. you know what the, the crazy thing about Tessa is? If I did my top five of nicest people I ever met in wrestling... <laughs> she would be in that top five. She was just so accommodating and so nice. Like, you want to put the belt on your shoulder, blah, blah, blah. And I know, you know, that's the fan meet and greet thing, and they are on at that point, but it was just like, oh, she's kind of angry. I would have never guessed that about her. Well, yeah. if, I had to na- if I had to name the top five nicest people of, uh, that I've met in the wrestling industry, Floyd, you're number one. Well, thank hey! you. Hey! <laughs> Alright, well let's get into this uh, next segment, which was when we had the champion Chris Jericho coming out with his Inner Circle boys flaking him, and he proceeded to go into this ma- go into this segment talking about how last week at Fighter Fest, he had one of his best matches against Orange Cassidy, It was going on about how he was winning the ratings war, called himself the Demo God, um, which... Honestly, if we're going to bring WWE in on this segment itself, this felt like the most WWE-esque like, segment I've, I've seen from AEW. Uh-oh. Which, I, I, I have to jump in and say, I absolutely hated this segment. This oh, whole boy. thing. Like, I'll, this I'll, okay, whole, I'll, just, I'll let you go on, on right this, now. Since this we, we all know whole that. thing. I'm like, I'm messaging my friends, and I'm just like, oh my God, how many times have we seen this? This is like the moment... OC showed up. He's like, oh, they're going to drop orange juice on their head. And it's just like, God, it just, it was, to me, AEW does this great job of doing old school stuff, but putting AEW twist on it. You know, stuff that's been done before, but doing it their own way. I just felt like this was cut and paste, copy, you know, copy and paste, boring, uninventive. I, I hated this. And, you know, people can say, hey, you're the positivity, but, dude, I cannot. I, I hated this segment. And, like I said, I've messaged my first few friends, and they were like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And then I'm looking at all these AEW, you know, like, Facebook pages, and everybody's like, man, that Jericho segment was amazing. So I guess it just wasn't for me. I'm the outlier, but that was thumbs down all the way. It was a swing and a miss. 
Uh, yeah, I have to agree with you. There's quite a bit I didn't really enjoy about this segment. Uh, as far as the positive aspects, so one thing is, um, earlier that day I was asked in the group chat, I think Rich might have actually asked, like, what does Jericho do next? You know, if you're the booker, like, you know, what do you do with him after, after this, uh, you know, Orange Cassidy thing, given, you know, the state of everything, and we all pretty much were like, we have no idea. Like, there is no fresh direction. If you, everyone's kind of tied up or, you know, with the travel restrictions, it's kind of just very in flux. And we're, we're kind of wondering, like, what's next? And the fact that they are going with Orange Cassidy is kind of a really great sign. So from that aspect, I enjoyed their first feud. I enjoyed the build. I enjoyed the match itself. So I'm excited for that. But as far as the layout of this uh, segment, I completely agree with you, uh, both of you guys, this seemed entirely very WWE-esque. You know, dropping stuff out of the sky on, on a guy. It's just Vince... It's like McMahonism sort of stuff. Like, I didn't really enjoy that personally. And um, I did think it was funny when um, Jericho, like, grabbed the towel and he didn't realize, like, uh, <laughs> it was Orange Cassidy's face yeah. on it. But they didn't even really show that during the live broadcast. It was sort of like a replay that we kind of saw that, because they cut to a commercial. But um, the, I think the most cringe thing, more cringe than the orange juice dropping out of the sky, was literally the demographic talk. Like, you know, it, it is true. It's entirely true that, like, the 18 to 49 demographic is what, you know, advertisers are looking at, and what, you know, matter the most, and everything of that nature. Like, I get that. But that really only applies to, like, the nerdiest of, like, wrestling nerds who are, like, listening to Observer Live and things of that nature, like, you know, checking up on these trends. Like, I would probably wager that the vast majority of wrestling fans don't care about that. It also, like, doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of the story that they're telling. Uh, I am glad that they're kind of selling some shirts off of the idea of the quote-unquote demo god, but it almost seems low-rent. To be honest with you, like, and I'm, I'm all for, like, taking shots at the competition. I love that shit. But when you're like, we're winning in the 1849, but we're losing in the overall to the C-show, that doesn't send a good message. That makes you look, like, kind of petty and stupid. Like, I don't think that's a good look, and I think they should really steer away from that stuff, honestly. Well, yeah, and, like, WWE, too, we all talked about how the first time, like, AEW and NXT went head-to-head, -head, how AEW won, and then, like, WWE's, like, official Twitter was, like, well, I don't know, it was their PR Twitter, I think, where it was, like, congrats to uh, AEW, but remember, this isn't a, mar this isn't a sprint, it's a marathon, uh, and everyone was, like, oh, shut up, like, or whatnot, but honestly, like, if you're, if you're losing, like, to be gracious in it, like, is the pretty much what you have to do but for them to like pull from the even though like in the sense like that is true but like it looks like you're stretching and it's like like take your shots like pick and choose your battles like because like there's points where it's like obviously like you take a shot here and it's gonna ring like hell but like pick and choose your shots because when you when people are already getting on you for like constant wwe smack talk like and you're throwing shots like that when you're when you're being like oh but in the demos like people are gonna be like oh just shut up so but i didn't hate this i just didn't like it because i instantly got flashbacks to like you said like it was wwe-esque it flashback to dx dropping shit on the spirit squad flashback to like 
like all the wedding ceremonies were like shit got thrown out and i was just like like you guys don't need to pull this off like you're presenting yourself as the alternative you don't need to present segments like this it's just not necessary but i mean i'm sure the feud will be fine but i'm sure the feud will be fine and the rematch is going to be good i mean i don't expect anything else like like low, low quality but from Orange Cassidy and Jericho. Well, my, this segment I was, I was is not to needed. Say my last point is that I felt like it was a waste of Jericho's talent. I just yeah. think he could have done more with that segment, just giving him an open mic and letting him go. The demo talk, I thought that was good heel work because it's something no one wants to hear about or talk about. And you know, a perfect heel is a someone that loses but still tells you he won. So I thought that was kind of like. You know, that perfect heel work. I could see where you could see it as low rent. It's one of those things. It's like this segment where I said I couldn't stand it. And then I'm like, I'm looking at 20 different places online that's saying it's like the greatest thing ever. And I'm just like, okay, I guess it depends on how you take in the information. Again, I would prefer a segment like this doesn't happen again. But if it pulls numbers, it pulls numbers. Yeah, but it's kind of like Russo used to do... like stuff like this and it didn't equate to like better business overall for them you know like it might pop a rating but that's all it's going to do like long term and i i I agree with you uh floyd i see what you're saying like you know you've got a you've got a uh heel saying this and that's kind of fitting into his persona but the thing is is he is speaking from the perspective of not just himself, but, like, that's the company standpoint, too. Tony Khan said the same thing on Twitter. Yeah, like, the exact same thing. You do not want to be mimicking... It almost sounds like Tony Khan, like... I'm not saying this is what happened. I'm just saying it could be perceived this way. Tony Khan helped write the uh, promo and told him, like, hey, here's a talking point, and then he goes out and says it, and then it's like, you're mimicking your boss's, like standpoint and that he already like stated on twitter like which also was criticized heavily by people online like i don't know man like i don't know how how much that's going to get people invested into the company it's like oh we're drawing 18 to 49 like does anyone really who's watching really care that they're drawing 18 to 49 i mean i know we do because we're covering it but yeah i don't and, know man and that one fifty year old guy that happens to be watching so i don't yeah. matter <laughs> i guess i don't matter <laughs> like I don't know. I guess I'm just an old school fan. I just I like it when like there's a heel in the face and they don't like each other and they've got a you know and they're fighting each other and I don't really care. I do care about demos and demographics and I understand why they matter, but I don't think they should be talked about on TV. Like I remember when Eric Bischoff came out and used to be like, "We've been winning for 67 weeks." Like no one cares, dude. Like that's not that, honestly. That, that I know facilitate your story. You, you know what's crazy? I don't even remember it because that's how little I cared about it back then. I just like yeah. two dope wrestling shows on, and I loved it. And I did not care who was winning. I didn't even know like that they won until you know I got you know markier until for like. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards, greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Back of a better turn after I left high school, but it was just like, Man, these are just two amazing wrestling shows, you know, and then one got yeah. lost. 
way less amazing. <laughs> and then that's that's what I noticed. But yeah, I don't know. I, I'd prefer them stay away from it. Now, if you only take shots at the WWE, take all the shots in the world because you know their their hardcore fan base likes that. But pick your shots and put them in a way that a casual fan would understand. Because most casual fans didn't understand why he brought that up. One thing I will say um, before we get into the next match, and I want to ask you guys, in terms of what Jericho does next, would you guys be opposed to him possibly going away for a bit? Oh, that's an interesting thought. I hadn't thought of that. Uh, you know, Jericho does have an air of being like sort of a uh, attraction, you know? Um, that's one of the things that has previously been appealing for him in both WWE and New Japan, the fact that he's almost seen as sort of like one of these rare attraction type guys. So maybe he is a little bit overexposed, especially given the st- the uh, uh, stance that like he's a top tier guy. He needs to be towards the main event. We've already seen that play out. So where does he go from here? You know, I don't think that's a bad idea necessarily. Uh, I don't know if with the COVID and everything, I don't know if he can like tour or work on outside projects, but that might not be a bad idea just to kind of keep him underexposed. I would like to see him build to a match with Scorpio Sky. The Orange Cassidy seems, thing seems not to be over, but I think uh, with Scorpio, the new focus on Scorpio as a singles wrestler and how they've dubbed, had him win a bunch of matches on Dark, I think revisiting Scorpio Sky and Chris Jericho from late November and maybe Chris Jericho still wins and then that leads him back into the title picture but it would get Scorpio on Dynamite every week and in his new position character as a singles wrestler who's gonna gonna beat Jericho I mean so he's worked with all these young talent he's worked with Jungle Boy Darby Allen you know uh, uh, Scorpio Sky now he's working with Orange Cassidy and it's like at some point like the Roosters need to come home. Like, who's going to beat this guy? <laughs> I mean, but, you get know, their win back? it's only what? Been around, it's only the Dynamite and stuff's only been around nine months. At some point, it's like a year from now. Right, and I agree with that. And I, I think, like, you do... I'm not saying everyone needs to get their win back, and it, it, it probably does need to be spaced out, but I'm like, if he sticks around, it's like, maybe he should, like, work tags or something for a period. Maybe there's a tag story for him. I don't know. Because it feels like if he keeps working singles and keeps working all these young guys, at some point, like one of them needs to like get their win back. I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't have took. I wouldn't have taken the belt off of him. I mean, I, I like Moxley. I think he brings an attitude and a different uh, a persona to it. But I wouldn't have taken the belt off Jericho at the time. He would still be my champion, and it would, to me, build up to either Hangman or Kenny Omega, whichever one you were picking. Hangman or Kenny Omega eventually building them, but that's that's fantasy booking at this point. Now I agree. And now at this uh, and now you're looking at Jericho. I think he we should be building up to him in a rematch versus Mox because that's what you should do at this point. And, and like Mox is a strong champion. Don't get me wrong, but I think Jericho at this at the young age of what Dynamite and AEW still is, I still think you need him as the face of your company. Okay. All right. Well, with that out of the way, we can now get to um, what I felt like was the best match on the show: the Elite versus Jurassic Express, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks versus Luchasaurus, Jungle Boy, and Marco Stunt. 
I mean, it's like what you expect with the Young Bucks and the Elite. Crazy spots out of, like, like that you wouldn't expect. The fact that Marco Stunt was getting some legit shots on Kenny Omega, I'm sure pissed off a lot of people, but I thought was pretty cool. But it was a pretty dang good match. I thought the Canadian Destroyer that was, like, Jungle Boy leaped off of Jurassic of uh, Jungle uh, Luchasaurus, sorry, and then nailed the Canadian Destroyer on I believe it was Matt. Like holy shit! Like I'm I, that move does not stop being unbelievable to watch. But the Elite was able to get the victory once um, Kenny hit the one winged angel on Marco Stunt, and once again, kind of. Taps into a little heelishness afterwards as he starts wailing on Marco after the match before Nick throws him off, being like, bro, match is over, let it go. And just was a lot of unease after that match was over. But I thought it was the best match on the show. I was very entertained by this one. But your guys' thoughts? I got a question for Josh, so he can throw this into his thoughts. I've only been watching Kenny Omega since the the Okada Wrestle first Okada Wrestle Kingdom match. So I guess that was the only Okada Wrestle Kingdom match. Has Kenny Omega ever not sold for anyone? Has he ever no sold? Uh, um He like not. Nah. You know, he pretty much nah. sells for everyone he wrestles against. Even when he Including wrestles against world, girls, though. he wrestles he sells for everybody, correct? Yes, uh, so I mean people I really need to get over this Marco stunt thing. <laughs> this is just the way Kenny wrestles. That's what I was thinking. Is there a Marco stunt thing where people are upset? Yeah, that he sold for Marco stunt so much last night. Oh no! I also saw him. I also saw him like muscling the shit out of like Marco stunt and like manhandling him. So I don't know what anyone's complaining about. Dude, that's what I'm this saying. The that's guy, the, that's what the same people... guy who wrestled the blow up doll. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. People have to get over this because you're basically saying, Kenny, you should do something you don't do to make me happy. I, I find that really, really stupid. And, and since yeah, you I... are a New Japan uh, expert, I wanted you to explain to people that he doesn't do that. It's just not who he is. Yeah, I mean, okay, I think, I don't know if I've ever said this on this show, but I've said it on my show. I'm not a big fan of Marco Stump personally, and it's no fault of his own. It's just, I, I have a certain, like, there's certain, like, parameters where my suspension of disbelief goes, and he falls outside of it. Like, <laughs> so I totally understand why some people might be upset that Kenny Omega is selling his offense. That being said, within the confines of this company, within the stories that they're telling and the kayfabe that they're setting, like that, this is the this is the product that they're like putting in front of you. And like Floyd said, it's not like Kenny Omega has ever like no sold anybody. I mean, people were up in arms when he was giving, you know, uh, offense up to Allen Angels. Like, you know what I mean? Like. They're just certain people. Like, Ric Flair was the same way. Ric Flair is not, you know, when Ric Flair was a wrestler, he's not going to no-sell something. Like, you know, he's going to sell because he's a bump machine, and Kenny is too. So, I mean, you know, it's one thing to be upset and be like, I don't, I'm not a big fan of Marco. That's fine. But to be like, I don't like that Kenny sold for him. Well, you better get used to it because I'm pretty sure everyone in this company is going to sell for Marco on some level because they at least try to paint a believable story where he uses speed and leverage and high flying to 
make up for his lack of size. So, I mean, that's just what's going to happen. And if you're going to watch this part, you just you just have to accept it or just be angry about it. I don't know. Yeah, and, that, I mean, that's, and that's where I come at it. I enjoyed this match. It was exactly what I expected it was going to be. All gas, no brakes. Uh, you know, everybody hitting each other with their best stuff. It was it was fun. I, I It's like, that's what I can say about this six-man match. It was really, really fun. And then, you know, after they had the fun and the match is over, they continued the story or the descent or whatever you want with Kenny Omega. And, you know, again, if you want... Kenny to kind of, if your goal is to see Kenny more as this heelish character, who better for him to jump than the smallest guy? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he completely dominated Marco and then kept hitting him. There was no reason for it. That's what made it completely necessary. Yeah, this, this show, or uh, this match on the show was for me, the match of the night. Um, high octane, some of the stuff that I loved, uh, Aside from just, like, I mean, this was just, like, move after move after move. These guys just, like, kept such a frantic pace. Like, it was kind of insane. But towards the end, the moment where, like, Marco was in the ropes and Kenny's getting ready to give him a V-trigger. And then uh, Luchasaurus, like, drapes his body over over him to kind of, like, protect him because that's all he can do in that moment. And then Kenny's like, fuck it, you get one. <laughs> and then after he, like... Gives a V-trigger to Luchasaurus, he gives another one to Marco Stunt, and then he's out too. Like, I loved that. Um, you guys mentioned the uh, the Super Destroyer, like the Elevated or Assisted Destroyer, and it's like, this is the second week in a row where we've seen just an absolutely insane Destroyer spot. And like, part of me is excited to see what, like, if next week someone else tries to top it, but I'm also like, equally parts terrified of that, because they just keep upping the ante, and like, at some point, like, these destroyer spots are getting like kind of insane, but uh, ultimately, like, yeah, I don't know, man. Um, the match ended, and Kenny just kind of like was going off on Marco, and you kind of have to ask yourself, like, why was that happening? Because we haven't really seen that side of Kenny at all in this company. Nothing has really alluded to an an idea of that, like, he has this pent up frustration, but. I think part of, it's obviously playing into the storyline with the tension between him and Hangman and then what happened with him and FTR. And then this, is this you know, we haven't really seen the proper elite wrestle in quite a while. And this was like the first time in a, in, in a long time. And to kind of see Kenny break away that way, it's like, where do you guys think this story is leading? What do you think that was like, was that like a red herring or is, or like, is this a big clue? I mean, what do you guys, what were your overall thoughts on all that? Man, I think, yeah, I think, you know, the cleaner is coming, and I, I think he's going to be a loner. I don't think he's going to be messing with anybody. I think he's just going to be on his own, which I would love to see that, you know. I think he's going to, everybody's going to catch a V-trigger. Yeah, honestly, I think it's just, like, building to when, when, uh, Kenny and Heyman end up dropping the titles because like we didn't know who would turn in that situation. Um, it's still like both of them are kind of tweeners at this point. It seems like, and I don't really know exactly the trajectory that they're going for. I for this, it's like this area is what I find to be for the the most interesting thing going on, 
and I don't necessarily know what the final point that we're go- going to is. I'm just excited for what we're going to see moving down the line. Whether that be Hangman turning heel, whether it be Kenny turning heel, or whatever happens in the Elite, like, I'm for it. That's I'm very much excited for that whatsoever. Well, I like to throw wild theories out there. I never put any thought into this until we were literally on the air here, but as we've been talking, I've kind of formulated it. I think there's a chance that uh, obviously, and we'll talk about it through the rest of the show, there's a possibility of a team between Hangman and FTR, and maybe even someone else. Maybe that's what the Four Horsemen thing is all about. But um, I've How do you got do Horsemen feeling. without the horse? Yeah. Hey. <laughs> well, and when you speak, when I, when I look at, like, Hangman, I see, like, Barry Windham all day. Like, absolutely. So, I mean, there's, there's that aspect. But I kind of just think, like, what if the big switch is that the elite are the bad guys? Because in the actual logic of the story, Kenny kind of is. And I feel like, what if the Bucks go with him like they have so many times before and people are just not seeing it? Like, the, the groundwork is kind of there and, like, maybe that's how they get over, like, uh, FTR and page is like this uh big force like they're gonna be the baby faces who got wronged who need to come up and send like maybe the elite are the bad guys here possibly it's, it's possible i mean people are already like before covid people were booing the young bucks anyway so like it's not like it would be that much of a stretch so i mean it's possible because i think a lot of people are expecting when is the ftr sw- you know turn coming when is the full turn coming what if it's not coming? You know what I mean? Like, that's that's what we're waiting for, and it's going a totally different direction. If I was the booker, that's what I would do, personally. Yeah. I mean, we'll just have to see what ends up happening. But after this, we had a small backstage segment with Sheeta pretty much saying, just straight up, Nyla Rose, are you, like, are you, she says, you asked if I was ready for you, but are you ready for me? And then, like, this is when the show, I felt like, slightly took a just like a like this is where i felt like oh it's just a basic dynamite because we had uh the nightmare sisters and brandy Rhodes and Allie, who i love uh take on mj jenkins and kenzie page in a jobber match uh it was fine like i said i can't really say much about it like i find Allie interesting in what she's doing with the nightmare family i think it's entertaining but i mean there's nothing much i can say about this match other than it was just just a squash match and it wasn't like it like this is where i felt like it's called fight for the farm but this just feels like dynamite so (laughs) um i mean my only thoughts here really are that i liked mj jenkins a lot we used to see her on the uh largo loop and i was glad to see that she got some work in AEW. There you go. Yeah, um, my thoughts on it is the reason this still felt like Fight for the Fallen because it was a callback to the first Fight for the Fallen where <laughs> Allie, and no, Allie and Brandy wrestled each other at the first Fight for the Fallen. True. And then now they were a tag team in this follow, uh, Fight for the Fallen. So you see how their story has progressed a year. And, I, and I, I've always said this whole thing with QT is all about Allie trying to get her revenge on Brandy. So how that story continues, I would like to see. Good to see MJ Jenkins get some work. That was awesome. But yeah, I will never be like first in line. I like this match. What it was supposed to be. It was they just won. So, so this was like Gato long term storytelling. Huh? 
Well, they kind of, you know, the whole Nightmare Collective <laughs> that they uh, want you to kind of forget about. They just like, we killed it. It's gone. That didn't happen. They want to, you know, they're trying to get back. Because, you know, she cut Allie's hair when she was in the Nightmare Collective. So they have all of this mm. history between Randy and Allie. And it's like, do you really think Allie just let all that slide? That beef just went away? Again, and I like I like what's going on with uh, Ali and Brandy, but I would have preferred something other than a squash match. So, but I mean, yeah, it was great to see MJ Jenkins and Kenzie Page, but yeah, I mean, like I'd prefer something other than a squash match for these two. If this feud is something that's been going on for a while, and like what this storyline means is a lot bigger than just having them compete in a squash match that you could have just seen on Dark, but. Then, uh, Floyd uh, very much predicted what would happen with Nyla Rose and her new manager, none other, none other than the one and only Vicky Guerrero. And like I said, I love that she's here. I just want the onslaught of booze that I know she would have gotten if we had a full crowd there. Because, oh, she was just channeling her, her... It's just who she is. She's just a heat magnet. And this is where you could tell, like... Like, if you were in that crowd, you should have booed your freaking head off at her. Like, and that's where I felt like, maybe, like, what you said, maybe it was, Josh, maybe it was the masks, maybe they were just kind of, like, just not in it, but I wanted to hear just onslaught of boos towards Vicky. Yeah, I thought that, um, the whole night was kind of that way, you know, you, if you notice some of the offense from, um, luchasaurus that got huge like re reactions a few weeks ago um kind of didn't even get any sort of reaction here so i'm not sure what the deal was but yeah this was uh you know congratulations to you floyd uh and accurately you know predicting this i think some people thought this was one possibility it made sense on paper i was kind of hoping it would just be like taz <laughs> again <laughs> Yeah, because, like, I, I'm an old-school Mark, and I like when people have rosters of, you know, people okay, under their okay. clientele. Like, you know, Jimmy Hart used to do that shit. Like, but it's fine um, that it's Vicky. I've never liked Vicky Guerrero, or, like, I, I kind of jumped out of wrestling around the time she came in, and when I came back, she was still there, and I, I've never been a big fan, but, like, for people who watched that era when she was with Edge and with Dolph Ziggler and everything like that, they probably loved this. My one can, and, and she's great. She's a great talker. I'm not, you know, it's personal preference, but I know she's fantastic. My one concern is at a certain point, then bringing so many ex WWE people back, it does become problematic. And I mean, it's almost hard to avoid because so many people have at one point worked there. But once you've got multiple champions that have been there and multiple managers that have been there and, like, multiple, you know, it, you kind of just want to be careful that it doesn't feel so much like the way Nitro felt in 1995, you know what I mean? Sure, yeah, and I think it's just because, like, the issue is just, like, with those guys and girls that were from WWE, for the most part, the reason why um, they're bringing them over is because, well, because that's the other thing, too, is that, like, I mean, with WWE, you could be like, oh, they're getting too, like, heavy-headed on bringing people from Ring of Honor and New Japan instead of making their own talent through their own, like, system or their developmental. Because, like, 
that's just that's just the way wrestling is. Like everyone's for the most part that's on that's been in WWE has been somewhere else and like have had relative success. Whether that be Seth Rollins, Tyler Black, or like any of the other guys that have been on WWE that have been in Ring of Honor, New Japan, uh, any of those pr- 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 promotions. But I at least think the reasoning with the WWE guys in 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 AEW is just the fact that they weren't utilized the way that they were that they should have, I guess. And that's just kind of how it's different. Because with um, WWE more so, it's like a lot of those guys that went to Nitro were utilized very properly in WWE and had very much, very great success, but just went to Nitro for better money. And that's just kind of the reasoning that happened with that. Um, But for WWE and AEW, it's more so like these guys weren't utilized how they wanted to be or how the fans wanted them to be, so they jumped ship. So at least that's what I see between the differing between Nitro WWE and AEW WWE. Well, as far as you know, in this case with Vicky, she has been like the biggest AEW cheerleader since the very beginning. Yeah. So I think it was just destined for them to work together. Uh, as far as there being too many managers, I mean, you know, when I grew up on wrestling, the, like all heels had managers. There were very few hills that didn't have managers. Ric Flair is one of the greatest talkers of all time, and he had J.J. Dillon. It was just like, so it being too many managers, never really, you know, I would even never thought of that. But too many WWE people, I kind of agree. Uh, I can say I love Vicky. I do love her character. I've, I've said there's never been such a natural heat magnet. Uh, in wrestling, so I love her, uh, and I'm glad she's with Awesome. Co- I mean, well, I, I almost said Awesome Kong because someone, <laughs> someone said Awesome Kong was going to be the manager, and I was like, no, it's not going to be it. But uh, I'm glad she's with Nyla, and I, you know, I'm looking forward to what they do. And if she enhances Nyla, great. But I, you know what, they got they can't be afraid to, you know, say, hey, this isn't working if it doesn't work. That's the biggest thing with me. Sure. Yeah, with any of these people. Like, I, you know, Jake being out there for Lance Archer, I was like, I've I've heard Lance talk. For what he needs to be, Lance can talk good enough. I didn't really think he needed Jake. You know, Lance is a monster. Everybody dies. That's his thing, you know. You don't need to say a lot of a lot when everybody dies. And then it was just like, Jake, Jake is the only one I feel like there is just there. And, you know, and, and, and this is from a person that absolutely loves Jake the Snake Roberts. It's just. I I like Jake and uh, the, the whole thing with him and uh, Lance Archer because you're right. Lance can talk, but to a certain level. You know what I mean? Like he can cut the big monster heel and say everybody dies and yada yada. There's not a lot of nuance to it. He's a decent talker, but when you add Jake the Snake Roberts who like adds that mystique and credibility and name and prestige, it kind of like enhances the overall package and i like the story that they started to tell where it's like he's losing control of the monster which is kind of you know that's intriguing um with this one i will say the i think and this is my opinion and a lot of people are not going to like this i think nala rose is a terrible fucking promo i've always thought she was really bad and i don't think that when she says like i'm gonna break bitches that that comes off very well at all like it just it's not believable to me like but she she has a a very intimidating look and aura about her, but I think her voice and her promo reminds me of Mike Tyson, to be honest with you. Um, 
like, you know, you've got someone who's very intimidating, but then the voice just doesn't match up to it. When you add Vicky Guerrero, who can be this mouthpiece, similar to the Brian Cage situation, totally, totally different uh, scenario entirely. And I loved the presentation this past week where, like, Vicky is telling about, like, we're not giving away our game plan. And when we're ready, we're going to capitalize. And when we do, that's it, game over. And then, like, the whole time... You know, you have Nyla Rose looking just, like, very menacing in the back and, like, knowingly and, like, kind of brooding. And I was like, okay, this package works entirely better for me. Like, because now she looks like a destroyer and she's got someone who's, like, advocating for her. It's very much the Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar thing. So I think this works. And um, if it doesn't, I'm sure they'll switch things. But I think it is going to work, honestly. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, if you if. I'm looking forward to a manager having kind of a stable of wrestlers, and that's the one thing that I haven't seen that I'm looking forward to, is like, everybody just has their one person. I'm waiting for, you know, the collective, a guy that's out there with more than one. Like, Taz is like, you know, they're doing the Taz and Ricky Starks thing on Dark, where Ricky Starks just keeps going over there and crossing his arms, and Taz is like, I like that kid. And he's like, I got my eye on him. I want to see Taz add somebody to his group. Because Arn, most Arn, Arn has the Nightmare family. Uh, not um, Arn just comes out there with Cody. Uh, but uh, no, uh, he's got QT. Yeah, I was gonna say, but I I want Taz on TV as much as possible. So put him with other people. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into the main event then. We have what was supposed to be on Fighter Fest Night Two, the AEW World Championship match between John Moxley and the newly crowned FTW champion, the Machine Brian Cage, with Taz accompanying him to ringside. And I thought it was a good, solid uh, closer. I thought the finish was something I wasn't expecting, honestly. Um, but I think was a good way to protect Brian Cage, I guess. But um, I thought it was a pretty solid closer match. I loved at the end where we got the return of my boy Darby Allen, and Darby's been going on about how he wants to get back at Brian Cage for putting him out of action for over a month. So having Darby back was was so great. I'm glad because he's one of those guys that I feel like has really made himself a cornerstone in uh, AEW and is like one of those guys like you should want around at, as much as possible. And having him back definitely, I feel like, is going to make Dynamite so much better. But it was a good match. Um, considering how much it was delayed, though, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people were like, well, if it's getting delayed uh, by another week, I mean, we better get a hell of a match. And I'm like, eh, I mean, it's the... I don't, I don't know what people were fully expecting. But I thought it was, it was pretty solid, and it was a good closer, but uh, I don't... Like, I don't think people thought Brian Cage was going to take the title from John, at least. But the way they had it finished was a good way to at least at least protect Brian Cage. So, overall, guys, thoughts on this main event? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I kind of uh, echo your sentiments. Um, this was a really good TV main event. Um, you know, it was something that was built up for a while. Uh, I thought they did great. I really liked... Uh, Huxley's promo where he talked about how he was going after the bicep that was surgically repaired. And yeah. um, what's funny about that, you know, the FTW title just kind of got reintroduced. And this reminded me of, 
I, I can almost guarantee you, this is how much it reminded me of, I can almost guarantee you that John Moxley went back and rewatched the promo that Taz did at uh, Barely Legal 1999 when he was getting ready to unify the titles with uh, Sabu because, like, these promos were almost verbatim, like, the same idea. Uh, at the time, Sabu's uh, jaw was injured and, like, Taz talked about how he's going to go after the jaw. And in this one, like... John Moxley's like, I'm going after the bicep. And I was like, this sounds eerily familiar. <laughs> but um, the match itself was really good. Uh, but I thought these guys worked pretty well together. Um, you know, down the line, who knows? Given more time, they might be able to do something even better. This is the first time ever in history they've ever worked together on any level. And so, I mean, you know, a lot of times when guys have never worked together, no house shows, no practice matches... It's not always the best, and I thought these guys put forth a good showing. I will say that the end here, which essentially was a, a moment where the whole match, John Moxley is working over the bicep, and um, towards the end, he finally gets Cage in an armbar, and he has him locked, and it's deep, and Cage is not, like, tapping out, and Taz is there, and, you know, Taz is talking shit, and, you know, Moxley's looking at him, giving him the finger, and then ultimately, Taz throws the towel, and this is exactly what I thought was going to happen. And it's not because like I'm Nostradamus or anything, but they just presented that FTW title to Gage the other week. And from a kayfabe perspective, it would not make sense for him to lose to, say, the paradigm shift or anything like that. Because at that point, like the whole idea of him having the quote-unquote unsanctioned world title doesn't make sense. He has to have an out to say, I didn't really lose. And the out here is, well, I didn't really tap. And then they can say, he never really lost, so he's really the champion. And I knew something like that was going to happen. But, you know, it makes it protects both guys, makes both guys look clean, and, you know, it's a good way to go. And you know what else, to me, put over that uh, throw in the towel? The Taz's segments. You know, the Taz, Taz talk segments, when he talks about a move and how it works. And this just might be me doing my own canon here. But who would know that you are caught in a move and you can't get out better than the guy that breaks down moves every week? And yeah. he saw yeah. he, he saw Cage in that move. He knew Cage wasn't going to tap, but he knew there was no way he was getting out. You know, Mox would probably have to, you know, break his arm. And, you know, and then, you know, he doesn't got his guy wrestling. So for his own good, he threw in the towel. You know, he's like, dude, I, I'm protecting you from yourself and from your bullheadedness because I know you wouldn't have tapped out. So I just thought that was, I thought that added to the match. And it, the match was what I wanted it to be. It was super physical. No, no, there was no headlocks, chin locks, any locks like that. It was two big dudes beating the crap out of each other. It was one of those times, though, I, I felt like we needed, like, one of those New Japan exchanges where they just stand there and just forearm the shit out of each other for like three minutes. I think that would have helped the match. But other than that, I, it was pretty much everything I wanted it to be. And it was a great first match. And if they decide to continue this feud in the future, you have building blocks for future matches, which that's what I always like because now they'll have callbacks, you know. Uh, this time, Taz can cut his promo. This time... Cage is fully healthy, so you're not just going to be able to go after his bicep, and you, you know, Moxley is going to have to come at it from a different angle, maybe Cage is too much, whatever they do, but I thought the match was really good, I enjoy 
Brian Cage, and I highly I enjoy his squash matches more than anything. <laughs> but when he has a good match, I like it to be physical. And I love it well, that it wasn't Mox trying to run away. He was just going at him and going at him. And Brian Cage can just take more than other people, which is cool. Only thing I can say is they are kind of making the, uh, the paradigm shift look weak. Because what uh, now we had in his last two matches... Brody kicked out of, what, three of them? And then he didn't beat him either. He passed out. He didn't tap out. And then now you have pretty much the same kind of finish with Brian Cage. When is Mox going to beat, beat someone? But they're, but they're not, like, the full, like, Death Rider. Like, they're, they're like, the non-elevator version. Okay, okay. That is absolutely correct. See, again... That's why I have Josh on. Uh, but yeah, it was like, damn. So the last six times he's done this move, the person is kicked out. What's kind of? And that's not a very effective I, finisher. I actually felt that same way about Cody in the crossroads. It's just like yeah. I, I'm big on the finish being the finish. It is like, you know, let that be the end of it. And the, the like with Jericho, you know, no one has ever kicked out of the uh, uh what is it? Uh, Judas effect. Moxley just avoided it. He didn't kick out. He just avoided yeah. it. And so I just, I think they should do better job with finishers. Well, that's because you need to understand, like, the Judas effect is the most deadly maneuver in the history of wrestling. So obviously, like, you don't want to take that. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't uh, want to take a spinning elbow from anyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I but, did forget something early in the night. I'm just going to throw it in here really quick. Sunny Kisses. 364 arm to Cody, I thought was sweet. I thought that was like a really cool move. I made the note and I forgot to say it. I thought most of Sonny Kiss's forearms were the only like contact yeah. that actually looked really good. I'm sorry to bring that up from like an hour ago, but it was just like it's I, all right. I, I it's made all right. the note and I was like, I gotta say it. But as far as like the paradigm shift, it's like at this point, nobody, unless you're an undercard guy or a geek, if you get hit with the regular dirty deeds, you don't you don't lose. And so if you're like, uh, let's say Brian Cage, and you get hit with it, like you should be kicking out. It's only that really that elevated version that people don't kick out of. That's the real finisher. Oh, yeah, okay. I mean, that's, I get it. That's yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, but that's uh, fight for the fallen, which overall was it was all right. But like considering how. This whole special was made uh, to pretty much make sure that this title match had a big, big show feel to it. It's kind of, uh, kind of disappointing, uh, slightly, especially considering how strong I felt like Firefest was overall for the, over those two weeks. Um, but we have, we have been getting spoiled a lot with a lot of good uh, TV uh, stuff from AEW. So, but I didn't think this show was bad whatsoever. I thought it was really good, but I was slightly disappointed that some we didn't get more out of this show. I felt like, yeah. I thought it was. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was pretty, really, you know, pretty good show. Uh, you know, if I had to give it a letter grade, I'd have gave it a B. It was just like I said. It didn't feel right to me. And I think a lot of dynamite and what dynamite is is feel. And I just don't feel like it felt like it usually does. It's like I always say. I hate dynamite ending because I gotta wait a week again to get that feeling. And it was just. 
that feeling wasn't there. Yeah, I agree, because I think the biggest issue, and kind of what you're probably alluding to, Floyd, and this is just my perception, when you watch a Dynamite show, you understand that you're watching a weekly episodic sports entertainment based show. It's not just, like, the same kind of presentation as, say, a pay-per-view. This had more of a pay-per-view presentation without the actual pay-per-view quality of the matches, if that makes sense. Whereas the last two weeks, especially last week, felt kind of like an actual pay-per-view. This was still a good show, but it didn't have the kind of things that... It it wasn't even the wrestling that was bad. It was sort of like the in-between, like the, the great, like stories and segments that you're kind of used to from a dynamite it kind of lacked that yeah and uh, it's like i mean what are you gonna do but anyway we got to get into our preview for next week's dynamite that takes place on july 22nd but real quick before we get into that preview i want to let you guys know that this episode of all things elite is brought to you by power slam tv Power Slam TV is where you get access to over 4,000 hours of content from over 110 of your favorite wrestling brands from countries all around the globe, right on your mobile devices and laptop. And if you use the code Social Suplex, you can get your first month completely, totally free. But thank you so much to Power Slam TV for sponsoring us. And let's just get into the preview of the matches that we have that are announced for next week's Dynamite. We have... Chris Jericho and Jake Hager of the Inner Circle teaming up to face Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. Um, and also, we have another Cody TNT title open challenge. Um, Floyd, do you have any insider word on who this upcoming opponent may be? Woo. Or is, are we no, no idea yet? Woo. You know it. I think uh, Matt, Matt Cordona, their, uh, their uh, no-compete ended, I uh, believe, Tuesday, the 14th. So, I think next week, the challenger will be Mr. Matt Cardona, or, I think, I think him is more likely. I, I love that Warhorse got mentioned on yeah. a road to this week. I literally am not familiar with Warhorse at all. So, alright, good on the kid. But, um, you know, Ryder, Ryder or Riot, Matt Cardona, coming on. Cardona, right. cancel. He's going to bring ratings. <laughs> first million dollar first million person uh, dynamite next week because of Matt Cardona I mean who knows man possible um, we have a falls count anywhere match between the Young Bucks and Butcher and Blade I'm sure it's going to be just absurd we have Hangman Page versus number 5 Angels um, which should be alright we also have MJF who will be competing and Ivelisse versus oh god I'm going to butcher this name Floyd save me before it I get Diamante Diamante. Diamante. Yeah. Cool. I knew I was going to butcher it, which is why I passed it off to you. But real quick before we wrap up the show, guys, uh, any thoughts on what we're seeing next week on Dynamite? I love street fights, and one of my favorite things about street fights is people wearing street clothes, and you better believe that Butcher and Blade are coming in in their hipster-esque clothes to <laughs> fight the Young Bucks, who are going to show up in... They're they're not going to change their gear at all because that's just how they are. Like they're just going to literally be wearing their regular gear, and like Butcher and Blade are going to be in the white like pants and the white tops and the suspenders. It's going to be great. 
Yeah. Yes, with all the injuries to the women's division, my most excited about Ivelisse and Diamante. Uh, I could. Uh, I, I, I want to see what they got. I, I, I know I've always been a fan of Ivelisse. I've seen her. Ivelisse is great. I think she's a really good wrestler. Uh, Diamante was in LAX in Impact, and she didn't wrestle as much as she accompanied Santana and Ortiz. So when I watched, I mean, she might have have a long history of wrestling, but when I watched, she didn't wrestle that much. Uh, she was just part of the group, so I like to see that. I could also see this, and this is just me throwing in there. I could see Nyla Rose coming out and beating the crap out of both of them. And no, no, not if they're like advertising like that. It is possible, but like. <laughs> Like maybe after the match. No, I just I just saw in my head, you know, to announce Vicky Guerrero with authority, she just comes out and has Nyla just beat the crap out of both of them. That's okay. You know what? That's not terrible booking. The only problem is because of COVID and because of like the limited roster they have. I would prefer Austin's booking where it's like maybe after the match. Yeah, and I was gonna I was gonna say that I am happy. I don't know how close they were to signing these two or anything before it, but you have to, you know, have to know that a lot of women are getting more opportunities because of all the injuries on the roster. And you know what? You might have a diamond in the rough. One thing I don't like, and I don't know where she lives or what her situation is, is that you gave Abaddon that big dominating victory and you've done nothing. No segments, no anything on Abaddon. So I'm very, it's very confusing. Yeah, well, I would have thought. I would have thought at least a video package or two would be appearing on a couple shows, considering how good of a, a performance she had when she was on Diamond. How Jim Ross was really selling just her look. So I was surprised that we haven't seen yeah, maybe a, a YouTube video, package video whatsoever. something. Yeah, it's just, yeah, sure, she, it's something. She, she's literally just went away. <laughs> yeah, even I if mean, she appears on <laughs> the Elite. Yeah, something. I, I mean, watching watching WWE. You know, obviously this isn't a show about WWE, but, like, they're kind of, like, the, you know, center of the industry, and, like, they give a lot of examples, and we can kind of see, like, it's tough to, to book monsters, and it's really tough to book several monsters in the same division when it's a limited division. I think they're probably holding her off because they're trying to reestablish and rebuild Nyla Rose. Can you imagine what that roster would look like? Like right now with Abaddon being pushed on TV and Nyla Rose, everyone would pretty much forget about Hikaru Shida and just want those two to like fight each other. And then once it was over, where do you go from there? I would never forget about Hikaru Shida. I love her too much. I love her too much. That is an amazing point, though. That is an amazing point. I, I, I like. I would have never thought of that. I, yeah, no, no, that's an amazing point. Yeah, you, you, you two have two very dominant characters, so. You're reestablishing Nyla, so you keep Abaddon away, and when you, like, think anybody's forget about her, then you bring Abaddon back, and she is just, uh, you know, just as dominant as she was before. So I'm down. I, I, I dig it. They, I, I can they understand should keep, it. They should keep Abaddon quiet, keep her on dark, accumulate some wins, and then when the time's ready, bring her up when she's ready to challenge say, a Hakaru Shida or a Nyla Rose, whatever the case is, like, and, you know, c- kind of quietly build that record, you know? Sure, yeah. 
But, I mean, that's that's everything going into AEW Dynamite for next week. That's our preview. And that's going to do it, I think, for this episode of All Things Elite and our covering of Fight for the Fallen. I want to thank Joshua for being on this show. It was an honor to have you on. It was very nice meeting you for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. Same, man. Uh, you know, this show has had a lot of great contributors over the past and a lot of uh, great hosts and co-hosts, and we appreciate everything everyone's done. But I... I I've been listening, I've listened to literally every single, and Floyd doesn't know this, I know Floyd is an avid listener of my show, but I don't think he listens to every single episode of my show, but I listen to every single episode of his show. I listen and, to uh, every episode where you're discussing the show. <laughs> my, first epi- my first episode, what I missed is when, New, uh, the first episode I ever missed is when New Japan stopped doing shows. That was the first one. It was like, and you know, I stopped going to work. So, I, I listened when I drove to work, so, ah. I, yeah, so, I, I, there was never Convenient. that situation. But now, that shows are happening again, I haven't missed the episode since they started back. Well, what I'll say is that I think that, Austin, you've been a great addition and asset to this uh, show. It's tightened things up, and um, I'm glad that there's a bit more consistency here. Yeah, and I thank you, that, for, uh, thank you for complimenting my ability to pick talent. You know, uh, thank you. I know that I know that statement was for Austin, but I felt like it was for me. I felt like it was no, I'm kidding. No, but no, no Austin. Now, now, my big question is, why isn't Austin in the group chats? That's what I want to know. I mean, like you're kind of holding him back, right? Because uh, uh, Austin's under thirty, you know, so he doesn't use Facebook. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know it's funny? The only reason I, I don't use Facebook, the only reason I have Facebook is for the group chats and for the wrestling groups that we run. Uh, yeah, but yeah, Austin's more than welcome. I, I You know what? It was like, Austin was like, I was like, you want to do a show with me? And I know he thought it was like a soft welcome, but then I was like, here's password, here's this. You are a part of the show. And I'm like, yeah, you are. He did not, he did not treat it slowly at all. Oh, no. Like, oh, like, bro, you're in, the, you're in the deep end. You better look. No, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm like, okay, like, that's what we're doing. Here's the Reddit stuff. Here's everything. And he's like, is there anything I should be messing? Say what you want. I don't care. I say what I want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was uh, I was cussing on this episode, and like on my show, I cuss like whatever I want. But I was like, oh, I don't know if I should do this. It's Floyd's show. <laughs> hey, uh, I, bro, I think I think I up the swearing quota on this show. That's just because how that's how I talk. Yes, yes, you know, and it's funny. I will say, and we'll, we'll let everybody get away in just a second. But you look at Austin. He is very unassuming. You would not think he cusses like a sailor. Like, at all. <laughs> it's just I'm just very passionate in the way I talk, and the way I add to my passionate speaking is just by swearing a lot. If I end up, if I end up getting a, my sports broadcasting career off, the, and I'm, like, on live TV, I'm going to need to cut that shit out. Yeah, his podcast, <laughs> his podcast that I listened to, that was like, I was listening, and I was like, dude, this dude has the perfect, like, radio podcast voice, and then he starts dropping F-bombs, and I'm like, I forgot what the rant was about, but he said, like, 10 in like a minute and I was just like <laughs> okay okay me and him are doing me and him are doing a show together oh I, before I was before I joined the show I was uh, well, it was weird too because we'll, we'll, we'll do this little short little tidbit and then we'll close the show but uh, 
when I started doing podcasting, my my uh, my school, Central Michigan University, was uh, hiring for wrestling podcasters to do one of their shows, and I did that with my good friend Chad. Um, and we uh, did this show called Ringmasters, and then we got tired of just doing it for the for CMU, and we kind of wanted to branch out and do a lot more opportunities. We were getting opportunities with Starcast and other stuff, so we we kind of branched off and d- rebranded as uh, uh, Pinned Pro Wrestling Podcast. And because we weren't under a college banner. Um, the reins were off, and we got to say really whatever we wanted, and that's when I just was like, if I swear, I swear, and if it happens, it happens, because I don't really have a filter when I talk about stuff like wrestling or music or whatever I'm passionate for, because then I'm just, fuck, shit, bitch, oh my god, and that's just where it all goes, but yeah. I, uh, I could, we can't cuss, I don't cuss a lot, because I can't cuss at work, and I'm at work more than I'm anywhere. <laughs> so... When you're, that is where it, uh, the cussing got taken away from me. I actually was raised with the Marines, so cussing was very much a part of me. (laughs) Yeah, no, I can't see that getting over. But anyway, that'll wrap it up for All Things Elite for this week. Again, I want to thank you guys so much for listening. And if you guys want to support us and follow us on social media, be sure to follow us at AT Elite Pod. Be sure to follow. Social Suplex at Social Suplex. Myself at SZumer4. Floyd Johnson Jr. Uh, uh, at Floyd Johnson Jr. And be sure to follow Keeping It Strong Style and support them at KI Strong Style. And be sure to show love to all of the shows that we have here on Social Suplex. Now, Floyd, my brother, take us home. Well, again, thanks to Young Boy for being on the show. He uh, he brings up the wrestling IQ by at least ten points on this show every time he's no. here. And I uh, and, uh, and I uh, just appreciate everyone listening. I I, I want to throw something out there. Like what you like, like wrestling. Wrestling is a niche already, and if you like specific part of wrestling, you're part of a niche of a niche. When you talk about wrestling to other wrestling fans. You at least like wrestling. Just remember, the other 97% of the world that doesn't like it think we're all freaking idiots. So why don't we take (laughs) care of each other? And just remember, just remember, whether it's home, work, or school, always do your best. Always use your best. To be a (laughs) credit card bill.